Good evening. Welcome to episode 79. Eight. 78 Racing Line Podcast. 78 in. Still making the same mistakes. Um, so good evening, Joe. Good evening, Harry. Um, thanks for jumping on again. Um, no Formula 1 to talk about because there was a minor flooding emergency uh, in Tuscany, I think, Emila is, in Tuscany. Um, so no, no Formula 1 to talk about this week. But we do Emilia have Romagna. Some, Pardon? Emilia Romagna. Mm, we do have some um, things to talk about in supercars land. So we had a super sprint round um, in Tasmania this weekend, uh, Simmons Plains. So lots to talk about there. Um, last week we had a bit of a dive, deep dive into um, the parity issues or not issues in supercars at this particular time. We then had obviously the race to kind of get a little bit of a stimulus for this week's conversation and to see whether our opinions have changed um, based on, you know, seeing a little bit more um, of the supercar field in action. So we'll jump straight into it, Joe. Um, you were kind of front and center all weekend, um, just keeping up to date with the with the racing. So where would you like to begin, man? Um, I think we'll address the parody straight off the bat, to be honest. Um, we'll get the, the sort of sour taste out before we keep going. Um, as hard as it is to say, probably after last week's conversation as well, the optics of this weekend really didn't help my argument last week. So we'll have a slight concede a bit of ground to Tristan on that. Having said that, I do think there were a few caveats involved in the skew that we did get. Uh, and also a few interesting comments made by teams and also pit personnel that might give us a little bit of understanding of where teams are going right and where teams are going wrong. So off the bat, there was no forwards on any podiums this week. Three races, nine Camaros on on the podium. The caveat to that is we also had a lot of repeating cars on the podium. We had Brody Kostecki on there twice. I think Will Brown on there three times. Brock Feeney on there twice. I think Giza on there once. Oh. Uh, I don't know what else that leaves. Maybe was there a, a Matt Stone racing driver on there once? It could have been. I don't think they got there. So still realistically, there wasn't a massive spread of drivers on the podiums. Having said that, they were all Camaros. I will concede that. The... I suppose the interesting part for me was we did see a lot of very bad qualifying from all the Ford cars. Mm. And, I, and, and I mean like all of them bottom of the 10 into the early teens, all the, all the decent ones. And then what we also saw was really strong race pace from all those cars. So like a real dilemma for the Ford teams to, uh, to be honest. And it was a consistent among all the Ford teams as well. I suppose the positives were you see you saw teams like uh, Matt Stone Racing and um, what's his name Premier Racing uh, with two cars in the top ten for a lot of the qualifyings, decent race results for both teams as well. So fantastic for them, like really, really, and 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 this it comes down to it as well. This is what this this new generation of car was built for was to give. Um, the smaller teams a bit more of a fighting chance. Mm. Um, and these teams really seized it this weekend. Uh, 
and and like re, but, but really so they 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 qualified well but the the drivers that's really pushed up and had you know sort of gained those mid 10 spots were Cam Waters and Chaz Most like other than the first race I think where Chaz got uh bumped off by Feeney in on the two races on Sunday he was probably the fastest car on the track and a lot of good pit strategy, but also just outright race pace as well. Mm. You could see whenever he, whenever he, whenever he uh, passed the car, he really gapped him and was able to push up to the cars in front and, 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 and Cam as well, which was great. And also Will Davidson showed quite a lot of pace on the Sunday as well. So my, my sort of the main thing I was, I was sort of trying to delve into was why are these Ford, well, why were these Ford cars so bad in qualifying, but then, um, were able to have the better race pace on Sunday. Having said that, like the races are too short and uh, you're starting too far back for it to really get you onto those podiums, unfortunately. Um, and, and this is why they need to sort of get on to get understand, like try and understand what was happening with these cars as quick as possible. Um, Didn't Cam start, start P3 on the second race on Sunday? He just dropped race, back. Yeah. Yeah, he did start P3 on the, I think the second race on Sunday. And, and, and his, and sort of that's, that raises a good point as well. When there was Fords in decent positions, stupid mistakes, a bit of unfortunate uh, sort of circumstances as well, uh, the better cars being taken out, all, all little factors that really, um, as, as a, as a manufacturer, they can't really be affording. Like in the first race, I think it was Chaz and Courtney both got taken out on the first lap. Both of them were the only two Fords in the top 10. So there goes sort of your chance of making a run at the podium. Um, and then this, and then the third race, Cam starts P3, totally flunks his start, drops back to I think seventh or eighth by the time they get to the first corner. Um, and then but in, in those races as well, I think Cam... Uh, then there was also a race where uh, Davidson was starting from the back because he had a collision with a Tickford car in qualifying. So then you have another fast car starting from the back as well. So I'm not trying to make excuses for them, but if you want to put your best foot forward as a manufacturer, your your cars that you're sort of relying on to do the heavy lifting need to stop putting themselves in compromising situations. Um, as we saw, even Giza have a, a few ordinary qualifyings this weekend, but didn't put him uh, actually the second race, he put himself in a compromising position. He was out for that race. Mm. Um, so it's not a only forward thing, but none of them are doing themselves any favors in terms of uh, putting their best foot forward uh, when they sort of need to, as well as the whole parody thing that's going on. It's just sort of like a snowballing effect at the moment. I guess the other, but the other thing that I was thinking about is this as well, because I, I, I do agree with, with everything that you are saying. And, and there were, um, you know, Cam Waters and, and Mostert all like when they had the chance this weekend were showing kind of the ilk of, of their, of their abilities, you know, by kind of maximizing, you know, what they could have done. But the reality of the situation is I think from like just an optics point of view, it even, like even um, taking out kind of the unforced errors that, you know, teams within the Ford camp were making, it does look like um, just on a kind of 
you know, average basis, it looks more difficult for those Fords to get a result than it does for the Holdens. Now, I'm obviously not here to um, have a go at any teams and, you know, it, it, it's um, feasible for teams to kind of roll out on the trailer and kind of be in a good a good position straight away, particularly for this new generation of car. But you've got teams that um, have never really had this level of performance that are kind of dramatically ahead of really any of the Fords. Um, you know, so it's not, and it's not just like, like I said to you before, I think regardless of the parity right now, you've got Erebus who um, are firing on all cylinders. So I think for them, like the way that them and their drivers are performing right now, I would probably say it's not a parity thing. Um, they're just performing really well. I think when you've got like some of the lesser teams and, you know, lots of lesser teams um, that are kind of in between, you know, people like Cam and Chaz, um, and we can say they didn't have a good qualifying session, but like we just don't know how how much harder it was for the Ford on that particular track than the Commodore because, you know, it just looked like there was – it just looked like it was more – they weren't really ever going to be in a position to, you know, get in that number one and number two. So, um so I like on one hand I'm torn because I think that it, like you said before it definitely has opened up the racing to new teams, but I still think any kind of educated observer would still say that there are some drivers you know with the talent they've got right now who um who would probably feel a little bit hard done by the situation that they're in, and the other thing I, that supercars probably needs to consider is this: you've got people like um. So you've got someone like Cam Waters who um, has been kind of driving at peak performance for the longest time. They've lost um, McLaughlin recently overseas. There's all of a sudden there's a lot of momentum for Van Gisbergen and you know looking for the other options in racing as well. So they might, might lose one of their another one of their shining lights. You've got Cam Waters who has just started speaking about the idea or the prospects of trying to do some racing in America as well. You know, if the situation isn't rectified and he doesn't feel like he's got a chance to kind of win a championship purely based on the performance of the car right now, does that mean that he tries, he makes that move to to America, you know, before giving himself the chance to win a championship in Australia purely based on um, being too difficult right now with the Ford being what it is? But, but see, yeah. As, do you, as, do you think as, it'll take long for them to get it back to as close as they can? Do you, how long do you think it'll take? I'm hoping the year because I, my other thing is I don't want them to do it super quickly that they just go the opposite direction and then they've got to kind of make their way back. Joseph actually made a good point this morning where he was saying because both of the cars are so new um, and they're both really new with very different, you know, engines and like the difficult thing mm. right now is all of the um, – the um, all of the um, grip is being down generated not through downforce but through mechanical grip, and you've got very different weights for the engines and all that kind of stuff. So it's much harder to simulate. Um, what I said, what I also and, and said to- was, what I said was, um, when the Mustang when the Mustang came in in the last generation of car, they were the Mustang came in and was was schooling the Commodore. <laughs> But as a series, they understood the Commodore 
very well already because it had been established for at least two years. So um, when they started sort of bringing it back, what they ended up doing was putting a big in a wing hidden under the um, front fender of the Commodore that if you look at sort of the fender before and after it, the massive wing that's hidden inside it, um, the new fender, like the new fender doesn't give you the option to that. And I'm not saying that's what they need to do, but what I'm saying is they understood the car and that's in that generation very well, that the, the, the things that they implemented, they knew generally what it was going to do to the, to one of the cars without worrying about it affecting the other car. Whereas if these cars, they've got two cars that they are probably learning and understanding at the same time, but they haven't got a full grasp of both of them. So you can change one thing on one of them um, without really knowing the exact, well, roughly what it's going to do. And then how do you then alter the other car to bring it back to it? So it is, it is very much a balancing game, but as well, if you, if you like, if you, <laughs> my thing is, well, if you look at it, if you take out the two Airbus cars, which are the only cars that really seem to be, um, I would say like ultra consistent at the moment, it doesn't really look as bad because the spread is is not as bad as I think people make it out to. But those two Airbus, like this, the these cars were designed by triple eight racing and even triple eight racing is getting outraced by Erebus, both qualifying and race. Same thing can be said about Dick Johnson racing with the Mustangs with uh, Tickford and Walkinshaw, but like we're taking, we're, and we're, Penn, right? yeah, we're, we're, we're sort of talking about it. Like the Camaras are amazing. And we, when, when we haven't really even stopped to give props to Erebus that they're out qualifying and out racing the team that developed the car. And we've seen Giza, we've seen Feeney put in ordinary qualifying performances as well. We haven't seen that yet from the Erebus drivers. So for them to be one, two in the championship and sort of dominating this season as we speak, I think is more of a testament that they've unlocked something from that car or the team has unlocked something about those cars that they're utilizing both qualifying and racing. Whereas I don't think any of the other teams have really had that consistency at all. And that's, and that's including triple eight racing, because you look at the championship, triple eight isn't even third in the championship. Chaz is still third in the championship, which blows my mind and sort of is testament to how consistent he's been. Mm. But. Um, we have to give props to both Chaz and Cam because in a weird way, like I have been underwhelmed by Tickford's performance. Like, Objectively, all year, just in general, and that car, yeah. that car seems to be burning through its tires too, a lot quicker than the yeah, others. They've always, about they've always had those problems. I just, just, I don't think, like, I just think for the first time, you know, it's because it's a new car. They're obviously fluctuating a little bit more, you know, in where they are on the table. But like, nothing about this season have I been like, oh, she was cams, cams on it yet. The team's on top of kind of the car and where it needs mm. to be. Um, and, and and kind of he's he's been putting in a lot of almost like really they're probably just what you would call like a workman's performance probably like just you know 50s and 60s if you're talking about like a test cricket score you know what i mean like good scores but nothing that you're going to um kind of get too excited about cuz you still need to hit a century um so he's putting in like really good workman's performances and and kind of just I'm, i feel like it's almost under the radar his sixth place, which is nothing like really to write home about, but considering what 
I've seen. I'm like, that's probably a good thing. And I think that more can be said about Chaz even, you know what I mean? Like at no point have I been maybe this weekend, you know, there was a bit of on Sunday kind of, you just looked on it, but it's not, I haven't really been looking at this season going, man, Chaz is like, he's killing it. You know what I mean? And yet for him to be in third in, in, in the position that he's in, it's just been like a, a workman season. And I, I think, yes, we can say, oh, that's a, that's a good argument for parody, but I think, that's probably more that just shows how good those drivers are. You know what I mean? And they've been doing it for years in underperforming cars and trying to kind of hold a flame to Van Gisbergen in since McLaughlin's left. Um, and they, and they probably, they probably battle hardened in the sense they know how to get the maximum amount of underperforming cars on a weekend. Um, and I think that's what you're seeing. I mean, there's obviously two other Fords at the bottom of the top 10, but realistically, if we're talking about a top seven or top eight, they're the only two Fords that, have really got anything to show. And in a weird way, that um, David, what's his name? David Reynolds has probably had a, a few more kind of highlight moments this season, and yet he's behind them in the championship, which is just, I'm just, I find it quite interesting, to be frank. What's can, um, I, can I tell you the top 10 for the end of last year's championship compared to what it is after 12 races this year? And then tell me if you're surprised with the name with the, with the names. So last year's championship ended with Gisbergen, De Pasquale, Waters, Davidson, Mostert, Feeney, Heimgarter, Kistecki, and Slade. That's your top ten, right? So after twelve rounds, this twelve races this year, you've got Kistecki, Will Brown, Chas Mostert, Shane V. Gisbergen, Brock Feeney, Cam Waters, Andre Heimgartner, David Reynolds, Will Davidson, and Jack LeBrock in 10th is the only person that's different. And the person who's been taken out is Tim Slade. He's 11th at the moment as well. So Dude, that's really interesting. Realistically, the top 10 is not much different at all. And as much as we want to say the cars are, you know, aren't performing as well, if if I told you that, and without reading the, the, the two lists, you probably would have thought I was bullshitting you. Because mm. mm. that's what I do. I bring stats and I back up my Ooh. points. I'm a fan of that. I wouldn't have even, I, I'll be frank. I, I wouldn't have even thought to look at that. So for you to bring the fire like that, I really feel good. like the, the I, only I, argument I, re- I would say is this 10 of those cars is literally. 40% there are of more, the grid. The there good are 40% more, of the grid. But there are more Fords in that top 10 this year than there is last year because Chaz is now a Ford. Yeah, so I was going to say and it's no only because Walkinshaw conversation last not a Ford thing, then it's a Walkinshaw thing. What I'm saying is there's technically more Fords in that top 10 now than there was at the end of last year. And no one was worried about it last year. That's my point. I mean, no if, you look at, if, you look at, if you look at the trajectories that Brody Kostecki and Will Brown and Brock Fenia on, you would expect them all to get better. You would not expect them to stagnate. And what we've seen this year is probably through the help of a car that they, that maybe suits their driving styles more or they understand more or just like I was saying before, the team, their team has sort of gravitated to and got an understanding of it better than anyone else at the moment. And let's also remember when the old general so when gen 2 first came in erebus was very quick to adapt to that car as well like they were i think it was when they when they got the commodores they were very quick to adapt to that as well so this is not a new thing for this team whenever the sort of the 
formula changes, they adapt to it very quickly. And it's sort of how, when the big spenders sort of get rolling and start sort of really investing in the, um, probably the aero and R&D and and the big, and you know, the big engineers, that's when they sort of catch up. Um, So like, I don't think they sustain, can they sustain it for the rest of the season? Or do you think the others triple eight at a minimum will catch up? I think triple eight will catch up. I think I mean, they might catch up. But the only thing that would concern me is this. Triple Eight can catch up, but if um, Erebus are just able to maintain without making mistakes, I still think it's going to be hard. Like, they've got a chance still. Yeah, They just it, really, the thing that's going to be the most, um, what's the word? Important it's going to be hard when those big endurance just, races come. Yeah, and but they've also just got to minimise mistakes. Like, yeah. um, like you, both Brody and Will Brown are, um, consistently inconsistent in the sense that they will show moments of brilliance and then follow it up with rounds that they're kind of nowhere or mired deep in the pack. Um, and they haven't done that this year. They're both performing really well and they haven't had that kind of lull. But, you know, it's still in them. So I think for them, their biggest thing this year is actually just going to be staying the course and putting together a whole year of you know, for the most part, top 10 finishes and kind of trying to minimise those DNFs or particularly those races where they finish, you know, out of the top 15, you know, pushing 17th and stuff like that. So I think that's their that's going to be their objective this year. I think Van Gisbergen's made, uh, even already this season, a few more mistakes than we're, um, than we're accustomed to seeing, whether it's because he's in a car that isn't um, as like uber dominant as it might have been in the past and he's having to like I said he's not finding it as easy to to get past. I you can argue that because really last week from... in Warham, you know, in Perth it looked pretty easy. But um but I think he's all these having mistakes a bit have of come from him getting stuck in in the from bad qualifying. Well it's, it, it actually reminds me very much of this the um first first the first championship that McLaughlin won. Where yeah. kind of he he was had really good races, but you know, the difference between his good races and his bad races were just too big for uh, yeah. you know, as opposed to someone who was, you know, consistently putting it in the top ten and and bagging a lot of top five. So I think for him, he's got a bit of work to do to clean up his act. Um, but you know, I still wouldn't put it past him to to clean it up when all said when when it's all said and done. Excuse me. So here's another interesting thing that I heard this week. Tell me what you think of this. So they were speaking to, I think it was Cam Hill, and then they were speaking to, I think, his engineer, and they were sort of asking, like, what did the team unlock this weekend that, you know, sort of catapulted you to the front of the grid this week? Mm. Um, And they sort of said, we rolled the cars off the truck, uh, did a few laps in qualifying, didn't change much because the drivers said that it felt pretty good. And then we've only done small tweaks since then. And that was very similar to what Erebus said last week. And when they said, rolled them off the truck and um, we, you know, we didn't try and chase a setup. We sort of let the setup come to us. We, you know, ran the tires in, sort of tried to understand what the car was doing before we started making changes. And then also on the broadcast, Larkin said he was speaking to a lot of teams and he had found a lot of teams that had gone down the rabbit hole of trying to understand setups before actually really setting enough laps. 
were going down a rabbit hole of them not understanding the changes that they were that were they were making, which was compounding their problems on the weekend. Um, and uh, also, it was Chaz said the difference between the qualifying setup and the race setup is so different. And I sort of was, I wanted to, I'd be interested to know if the the cars that are doing well, how different their qualifying setup is compared to the to the race setup. I'd be interested to see if maybe because the, these cars are so have so much less air on them, maybe they're more um, like running the cambers that the teams are used to running sort of affects the cars more in qualifying uh, where you would think maybe you get a better yield because it's got less air, less downforce on it. Maybe it just doesn't give you the yield that you think you're going to get. Um, but I would, I, th- I think that sort of unlocks a few ideas of, and I think uh, Dick Johnson is, um, as well said at the start of the weekend, they sort of chased a few things and they they really struggled. It was only on that last race where, or the last on the Sunday that they really started understanding what the car had. And it was the first weekend that they had actually felt like they had made a positive step in setup of the car. Mm. Um, So, you know, there's a lot of sort of interesting ideas in there that when you, when you start sort of reading the, between the lines of teams or the, the teams who seem to be doing the least are getting the best yield and the teams who are really swinging for the fences and changing things up every time haven't really been able to understand what they've got under them because they're just changing the parameters so drastically from change to change. You reckon it's a byproduct of limited testing as well? It's like teams still don't have, and it's it's obviously the first time that they're at or every track, but... I don't even uh, think it's coincidence that Erebus ran the most test laps. Like they got their cars built the quickest and they also ran the most test laps in in testing. Like is that a coincidence? It could be, it could not be. But mm. judging from where they are at the moment, I wouldn't say it's a coincidence. Mm. Um, but also it could be the fact that instead of trying to chase something that you believe you should have, playing the cars that you've got and trying to understand what you have and then building a platform is probably the way to I would I'd be interested to know how much Erebus are changing their car between races. And also now if Matt Stone have a good weekend next weekend and how much, and if they've changed the car much between races as well, I don't think the teams would understand the cars enough that they could have totally different setups for different races at the moment. I think they're going to roll in with what they're running and then sort of adapt on the fly. But I think the teams that are going well, it'll be a consistent that they like, and I said this last week, Team 18 is running a Camaro. They're not running anywhere as well as the other teams. Brad Jones Racing is running Camaro. Heimgarten is sort of existing where he existed last year. <laughs> but the other three haven't sort of catapulted to the top. Forward sort of running where it was last year. And Jack Smith and, and McCauley are sort of where you would expect them to be. So, yeah, the sort of the top is skewed a bit but it's not as much as I think what everyone is envisaging. And then when you just sort of look at it deeper, there hasn't actually been a massive change in terms of the whole running of the grid. And then you look at how the race is finished. You've got like 10 cars finishing within 10 seconds. That's fucking amazing, really, hmm. over a 40-minute race. I think it's exacerbated too because you've got three teams that are forward who are usually quite competitive in your Tickfords, your Walkinshaw and your... DJR who are, haven't been competitive. If those three were a little bit more competitive, would be we'd be having this much of an in-depth conversation about parity. Hmm. True. And it's and like, the other thing is the, the problems that they're having 
it's not that they, they only existed since, you know, 2023 started. The bigger problems that all the teams have is that all those teams at the moment really have only one competitive car, mm. you know, like um, it's Cam, Chaz, Will Davidson. And then if Courtney has a good day, Courtney, and then also Anton, if he has a good day, Perka is existing where he sort of existed last year. It is what it is. He's probably had the least laps as well because of that fire. So he missed a whole weekend there. Uh, also, Courtney's had that fire problem as well. He's probably down on laps, but really, it's not like they're existing in a realm that they have they haven't seen for a long time. They're all sort of picking up where they were left off last year. So, so moving forward, what 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 do you think the the best course of action is? Do you think minimalist approach kind of like I, I I still think you would be right to think that it's not like the parity isn't perfect and they should still be working towards kind of some level of, you know, I think it's visible and they need to rectify it. But like I was saying before, I would probably err on the side of caution where I would rather see a smaller change that needs another adjustment as opposed to an overcorrection that literally just puts us in the same place, but with Kamaru being in a deficit. There there definitely is room for improvement. I'm not saying it's all perfect, but I sat down and watched all three races this weekend. And if someone told me that they weren't entertained with those races, I would, I would say they didn't watch the races because yeah, you had the same guys at the front of pretty much all three races, but those races were entertaining from start to end. Racing still awesome. You know, there was, there was great overtakes coming into the head here, great overtakes coming down the end where you expect them. You know, the side drafting wasn't really as much of a problem this year as it was last year due to the fact that cars are less air independent. Um, you had a really good race between the two teammates that, you know, kept it clean. Uh, Feeney had a few good uh, overtakes as well. You had tyre strategy, like we are saying, in terms of when you pit and when not to pit, and if you pit early, if you pit late, overcuts and undercuts. All the things that you want from great racing we're all there. Yeah, the badges on the car might piss you off. The Fords aren't doing as well as you would expect. I would also say the fact that you've got three big teams all in the Ford stable and only run real big team in the Camaro stable probably makes it easier on the Camaros because everyone's sort of following following uh, teammate Triple uh, uh, 8's lead. A lot of them are buying their cars straight from Triple 8 as well. So it sort of helps out that way. Whereas the the four teams are all relatively proud organisations, and I would dare say aren't really sharing information, which I think they probably should at this stage of the year try and just get yeah, as much wanna, information do you as possible. Dive into that a little bit because you made that point this morning, and I thought it was an interesting one. I don't necessarily necessarily think it's a realistic option, but do you want to just discuss yeah. your thoughts there? I think as under the umbrella of Ford Performance, you've got three very or even four now you've got four very independent teams and capable um, capable teams with good engineers and all the teams who all do things their own way um i would i dare say and 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 it is it has been a thing that on all the weekends you have had a, a different ford team that is sort of running as the best car you had the, I think the first one was Grove Racing. Walking Jaws had a weekend. Tickford's had a weekend. Maybe this this weekend it was Dick Johnson Racing. I don't know. But there's never been a weekend where 
you can say two or three or there's been a, a group of different four teams in that top five, in that top six, you know, mixing up with the best. There's always been one distinct team that has really looked like the best of those four teams. And what that tells me is that they're definitely not sharing data with each other. And I think if a Ford to sort of get on top of this problem, if we want to call it that, it's in their best interest to share data. You know, if, if, they've in, if they invented this Ford Motorsport uh, umbrella or Ford Performance umbrella and you're struggling, pull your resources, try and maybe it's only for a couple of rounds, but try and gather as much information as possible to bring all of them to the front. Because I dare say if in three rounds time, somehow there's seven forwards in the top 10, they're going to start screaming parody the other way. So I'm all well, saying is the other thing is it's your never been easier the cars being as similar as they are between teams for that to take place as well. Well, no one's but no one's really had time to develop an alternate idea or sort of rake philosophies or era philosophies or anything like that. Like now everyone's still running off virtually the same, you know, platform. Try and at least understand the platform together and then branch off. But if you're all working on your own individual sort of, and the other thing is all the different, like the different teams have got sort of different strengths and weaknesses and they're all pretty have um, tracks that they, they understand better than others. So all you're doing is giving your side of the, you know, category the best chance possible to succeed early on and then build a platform to, for, for continued success. Mm. Um, whether it's doable or realistic is, is, is a different point entirely, but I would think now uh, doable or not, you, I would think that it's, it would be somewhat realistic that, that these conversations are taking place. Um, and if they're not taking place, then I would say the problem of understanding these cars on the Ford end could be sort of self-imposed that they're not doing all they can to understand these cars as quick as possible. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, well, any, were there any other talking points from the weekend apart from that, do you reckon? I just, want, I just really thought that the racing was fantastic. Mm. Oh, I, yeah, like, from I really expect from, from a purely like um, – from the spectral point of view, purely of uh, racing and engagement. And if you weren't thinking about the badges that were on the front of the car and you're just looking at the paint schemes, for example, you know, really diverse to see that many, you know, teams in the mix, you know, some really good racing. Uh, I think, you know, we saw some, like you said, the fact that you didn't have as much side drafting down that long straight, but still a lot of overtakes and the ability. Yeah, It's good to see a hairpin where because the braking, you know, distance is longer now, yes, that was always a good overtaking spot, but I feel like it was even better this weekend, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, it was, it was a lot easier to sort of, if you had good tyres, to really make a move down there. Yeah, thread the needle. Um, so yeah. I really I really enjoyed that. And I think in that regard, supercars should be commended. And, and again, like I was saying before, I would be hesitant for them to overcorrect um, based on, some of the feedback that's coming out, particularly in the category, I think there is an over, there's a correction that's needed. Well, the, I think there's a correction that's coming. They're, that they're talking about there's going to be 
they hope they continue to err on the side of caution with those adjustments that they make to the balance of performance. Um, yeah. I think we'll I leave th- it there. Too easy. I, th- I, th- I I'll just say as well, there is going to be another aero test, uh, another test coming between the next rounds. Understandable. But like all, for all the things we talk about in that we're, that is lacking in Formula One, let's say, mm. like all the boxes that, that we wish to be ticked, overtaking, tyre strategy, pit strategy, overcuts and undercuts, like all the things that you want uh, in a championship, all those boxes get ticked, like from a pure racing perspective, even I think the ability for, for races to make a difference, like all those things come to the fore in supercars. So for when people say blanket statements like uh, drivers aren't able to reach their full potential because this car is hampering them, I would say, well, if if I was Scott Pye or if I was Andre Heimgartner, I reckon he would want to be in Chaz's car just as much as Chaz wants to be in, in SVG's car. Like there's, there's shades to this. It's not just a blanket statement that you've got out of 24 cars, 14 Camaros, and then, you know, some Mustangs underneath it. it the conversation has to be more nuanced and it has to be more uh, intellectual than just saying bullshit and then saying, oh, it's all because Roland Danes rigged the sport and all this shit that people say on Facebook. It's just like, you sound like an ignorant motherfucker and I'm not, not standing for it anymore. It just pisses me off. You're, not, you're making a stand, are you? You just went it from just zero p- to 100 when we were about to shut, shut shop. It pisses me off. All right. I think we'll leave it there. Harry's flickering like a um, like an LED light that's about to die. <laughs> All right, boys. In and out, mate. So, in and out. Um, we've got Formula One this weekend again, don't we? At Monaco. Yep. And we have um, Indy 500. Big weekend of racing. Indy 500, Formula One from Monaco. Um, I dare say there shan't be much overtaking there. Not that ever was an overtaking place, but, you know, hopefully, hopefully we get a bit of rain in Monaco. Wouldn't that be a story? Um, hopefully some of that rain from Italy makes its way down to Monaco. Mm, just even That'd be fantastic. A stream. You know, coming down the mountain. So (laughs) I think we'll leave it there, boys. But thanks so much for your time, Joe. uh, I think you took the lead on this one. Really, really showed the depth of your of your knowledge of Australian touring cars, and we have to commend you for that. And and also the vigor with which you fiercely defend the sport every week. (laughs) So I think we'll leave it there. All right, thank you, boys. Have a great night. Again, please continue to like, subscribe, share, and we'll have another fantastic episode of the Racing Line podcast for you next weekend.